You two need to shut the frig up. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. Today we're doing chicken and eggplant parmesan, red wine, and uh, Chase Madar. We're doing Chase. All right. Great. We're talking Chase. (laughs) I uh, can't tell you how flattered I am to be in the company of your chicken and eggplant parm, but it's really great stuff. Oh, good. Yeah, this is the second time we've had a guest actually come here, and we've sat down and had a meal. With Freddie, we did Lucali. No, 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 no. We did. Uh, wasn't open. We did the uh, bullshit. Layla Jones Street. Layla, Layla Jones, Jones, which, by the way, is not as good. <laughs> I, so we will never hear from them again. No, Layla Jones <laughs> is pretty good. You live in, have you had Layla Jones? No, I don't know. I I like Lucali, yeah. but I love Juice Peanuts in the South Slope. And What's that? That's a Lucali spinoff operation. Wow, and it's practically in Greenwood Cemetery. No oh, way. Okay. It's like two feet away. Uh, that's it, how far South Slope it is. Is it the real Lucali guy doing, or is it a knockoff? I don't. It, no, it's the real Lucali. What? You know? And it's what uh, the fuck? It's just awesome. I mean, it, you, uh, you you don't have to wait either. Oh. I've been to Lucali about four times. Try on my birthday, this, that, and the other. Trying to get in. No, and I've never gotten in. I've only no. had takeout. Yeah. And I live in this neighborhood. It's an outrage. you got to be there when yeah. it opens. Everybody yeah. Knows that. yeah, yeah, yeah. There have yeah. been very few stabbings lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so things are on the up and up. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Imagine going to that place 10 years ago would have been, you know, right. walked right in. Right, right. That's our fault. All right. So we have an amazing guest today. Yeah, yeah. So Chase Madar, uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, who you are, what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, Chase Madar speaking here. I'm a recovered lawyer to practice <laughs> law at a bleeding heart operation called Make the Road New York. Uh, great name. They're, they're doing great, getting bigger and bigger. Uh, they do political organizing in the Spanish-speaking universe of New York City and really the whole tri-state area now. And uh, did all kinds of uh, legal services there and some bigger, more interesting advocacy projects, yada, yada. But uh, I'm a journalist. I write for a lot of places. London Review of Books, London Times Literary Supplement, New York Times. I'm a contributing editor at Pat Buchanan's Rag, the American Conservative. Right, right. Proud of it. Great magazine. <laughs> yeah. I disagree with about half of it, but I, I, I respect those guys. I just hope they uh, don't go totally crazy now that Trump's in office. Right. You know? Uh, and I'm the author of a book called The Passion of Chelsea Manning. I wrote it, published it back when she was Bradley Manning. So that's the, you know, the strict title. But that's all about Chelsea Manning, the WikiLeaks source, the young army intelligence officer who performed the biggest leak of confidential documents in U.S. history. And uh, she was a soldier deployed to Iraq as part of the surge. And... Uh, deployed at Ford Operating Base Hammer in the middle of nowhere, the Madain Kata Desert, and had a crisis of conscience while on duty and thought that people in the United States should know the real truth that had not been heavily processed by PR professionals, by military lawyers, spin doctors, and leaked uh, almost... uh, half a million classified documents to WikiLeaks. Yeah. None of them is top secret. It was all pretty low-level stuff, but it caused quite a stir. And Chelsea Manning's been back in the news because she was part or commuted 
Her sentence was commuted at the very last minute by Obama. Right. So that's um, why I really wanted to have you on this week. Um, Is that segueing right into your first? uh, Well, kind (laughs) of. I mean, it's kind of perfect. Thank you, Chase. Um, So many have called for her head. Um, There's literally people who have called for her execution because of the apparent um, terrible crime she's committed against the state. Um, And... I'm not sure if, and you can clarify this maybe, Chase, is that if she's being indicted under the Espionage Act, is that, mm-hmm. is that yeah, okay. She was charged and convicted under the Espionage Act okay. of 1917. Right, right. Um, so, which is not necessarily the intent of the Espionage Act, right? Which is No, that's, of, that's correct. The Espionage Act of 1917 was a World War I measure right. that was aimed at actual spies, right. people trying to help enemies of the United States. Uh, but it was retooled by Richard Nixon, that lovely man, to go after leaks and whistleblowers. Okay. Retooled to go after Daniel Ellsberg. Okay. Mm. Okay. But a- as it would happen, it's President Obama whose Department of Justice used it against more leakers and whistleblowers than all previous presidents combined. Right. Right. And that's part of wow. uh, Obama's desultory record of of punishing whistleblowers really hard. Much, much harder than he needed to. A record partially redeemed, I think, by this commutation right. of Manning. Right. So I, we weren't, I want to get into that, the whole clemency thing, that why, why Obama would give uh, Chelsea Manning clemency. Uh, so you've made the argument uh, that in your book that she deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom um, rather than a cold cell. Um, and that effectively she's performed a massive public service to Americans and the international community at large, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so two things that stuck out from your book, which I just want to sort of get into and ask you about. So one is that as soon as the leak happened, the commentariat basically began to pathologize uh, what motivated this leak, that uh, sort of abnormal quote-unquote abnormal sexuality, mm-hmm. um, some sort of uh, some sort of deep-seated psychosis, basically. That, mm-hmm. That's the only thing that would sort of trigger uh, such an act. And what you offer up instead are basically the words of Manning um, in these chat logs, these IM chat logs. And, at, and so there's a kind of technical question, but at the time when you, when you published, you said those are as yet unverified chat logs. Mm-hmm. Have they been verified since? Or is that can we rely on that? Is that is that actually Manning's voice? Yeah, I, I think we can rely on it. Now, verify in this sense, you know, we're not talking about admissibility for evidence, so we don't need to get into mm-hmm. you know legal right. definitions of verification. But it, it, they're everyone recognizes these chat logs, and it's a, a dialogue between Private First Class Manning and a renowned computer hacker, uh, convicted computer mm-hmm. hacker named Adrian Lamo. And it's a dialogue that takes place over a couple days. They're published by Wired. You can find them online. Really worth reading because it's like a, oh, just a, a, a really chilling and I think profound one-act play uh, for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And especially because the way it's it's printed or rendered it's it's all in this kind of chat log right you know typeface and uh and and signs but uh before getting before private first class manning was about to get discharged from the military 
Private Manning really opens up to Adrian Lamos, kind of a celebrity in this world of computer hackers, and uh, starts bragging a little mm-hmm. bit about what she's done, leaking all these documents to WikiLeaks. And uh, little does Manning know that Adrian Lamo is a confidential informant of the you know, federal authorities. And Lamo... Because he's been busted already. Because he's been busted right. already oh and is, is, is getting used. And, you know, some people have tried to make Lamo a real villain in this. Right. I, I think that Lamo really lacks the stature to be an Iago or, right. or right. anyone <laughs> like that. He's just kind of pathetic. Right. I, like a lot of confidential informants, this is someone with pretty severe mental health issues, yeah. was involuntarily committed just a month before these chat logs, this dialogue with Manning, and uh, th- this poor soul. I mean, kind of a wreck. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you know, covering his own ass and turns in Manning. And, and you can tell that you know, Lamo is, is fishing for, so if you got busted, what would you do? <laughs> Are you trying to sell these to the Russians or the Chinese? Oh, Why trying not? to set her up. Try to, try to set yeah, up Manning yeah. a bit. And uh, you, you could see it all there when you read it. But it's, uh, I, I used that the epigraph for each chapter in my book is taken from these chat mm-hmm. logs just to, you know, act as a binding agent to give my book some shape, some composition, mm-hmm. you know, a little patterning. But I, I really recommend reading uh, these dialogues because they're, they're like a tragic one-act play for the 21st century. They're talking about the power and the impotence of information, the Iraq war itself, how people respond to to leaks. I mean, these are all themes that I cover in the book myself. Where did she get the actual uh, papers from? Like, were, were, were she on these emails? Like, how did this happen? The skiff, okay, or did she right? break the into something? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that this is I, I find this really interesting. How did this the biggest leak in right. U.S. history happen? The biggest, you know, illegal disclosure of confidence. It sounds like it must be. Like suction cup gloves this going like up the, the wall. This is like the Latanza <laughs> heist of, right, right. Uh, of Lee. You know, Mission Impossible Six. It must have been really goddamn smart. Hanging from wires. You know, <laughs> sweating and and making sure it doesn't hit the right. beam. Right. It, yeah. In Burj fact, Khalifa involved. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, let, like most of the most serious breaches of security in in recent U.S. history, it. It was easy peasy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Matt Manning had security clearance, top secret security clearance. Sure. Get, guess how many people share this distinction? I'm going to guess it's a big number. It's 1.4 million people. I mean, that's like yeah. both Dakotas and some of Wyoming. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, and it's very compartmentalized and segmented. If you have top security clearance, doesn't mean you have access to everything that's top secret. Although Manning figured out a way to get access to a lot of things with, you know, somewhat minimal hacking. I mean, Manning, someone who was handy with computers from a young mm-hmm. age, and that's why she wound up with this job in the military. They were desperate for someone with her skills, and this is someone who really was not cut out for the military otherwise and barely made it through basic training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what she did is, you know, there she was in something called a skiff, which is... I mean, it's been so long since I wrote this book, but it's Secure Compartmentalized Information Facility. And this is this securitized area 
and there's one that travels around with whoever the president is where they get access to their top secret briefing and so it's a it's a part of forward operating base hammer in the Madain Kada desert uh, where that's only limited to people with top secret security clearance right. security clearance but there are no security protocols being followed at all there People are leaving their passwords written down on post-it notes stuck to their phone. <laughs> there are... There's a guy named Cliff guarding the door <laughs> with like a toy cap yeah. gun. Yeah. You just <laughs> wink to get in. That's, that's <laughs> pretty much it. Buy a donuts coffee. There, it gives you the passwords everything. There are writable CD-ROM drives attached right. to the computers, which is like major no-no. Right. Like if this is all secure information. So th- this is kind of infamous. Manning just writes down on a blank CD-ROM, right. Lady Gaga, and then <laughs> you know, compresses all the files and walks out with them, Go, goes home on shore leave that's permitted. And then, you know, this is like the most top secret thing of all of, of how Manning transmits these things to WikiLeaks, goes to a Barnes and Noble right, right, <laughs> in the right. D.C. Right. area and just goes into a you know public computer, essentially, and, and sends it from there, from a thumb drive. Wow. And, and uh, that's how this top secret breach. I, I wrote something that you know listeners can find out uh, that I wrote for The Nation at the time of the court-martial. Why are the most serious breaches of national security so easy? And because there was a, a recent one at a nuclear research facility in Kentucky uh, where you had this crack team break in like five levels of security <laughs> using ah. these high-tech tools to do that, like a pair of wire cutters. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this this crack team of commandos. It was an 80-something-year-old yeah. nun. Oh. Uh there was That's a guy, uh, actually. a house painter, and a guy who described his occupation as drifter. And they were, <laughs> they were politicals. They're part of the Catholic peace movement, and uh, you know they got stopped almost by accident. And the guy who stopped them, the guard. I mean, he's the only one who who lost his job or faced any sanction because he recognized them as politicals, not as terrorists, right. who are just you know the nonviolent disobedience crowd. So he stopped them. I think he may have handcuffed them, but he was the one who was fired from his job. Oh, my God. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's what a lot of operational security is like. And uh, I, I I don't know whether this is disturbing, reassuring, depressing. It's but depressing. Not... Not that many people want to breach security or 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 get the word out. Uh, it, it there's always a lot of talk about new high tech means will make it easier to track people, uh, and I, I suppose they do. But you know, with new technologies, there are new high tech ways to hack things right. and to break into things. But I think usually it's just going to be lax security that make leaking and whistleblowing <laughs> like this possible. She made a. Uh uh, one of those big ropes made out of sheets came down three stories. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the cartoons. So the leaks themselves, um, we obviously don't have time to talk about all, all of them, but... I've, I looked today on, uh, on uh, I think, her actual like free Chelsea site, mm. and it kind of like... I, I did a couple sites, but that one was pretty good about like what did they reveal. Right, right. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. It's basically everything... Everything negative you know about behind the scenes of anything in the Middle East was was leaked. Yeah, yeah. Like the torturing and the turning a blind eye and the civilian drones and the 
the mess. The, I mean, it's. I mean, in in some respects, it's mind-boggling how mu- how much stuff there actually is and how much of it is bad. I mean, some of it's kind of banal and sort of in the weeds, diplomatic, you know, mm-hmm. jostling and stuff like that. Uh, but a lot of it is just unbelievable. I mean, it's I I, I don't want to st- step away from the word criminal, but but just just completely immoral, right? I mean, just just unbelievably terrible stuff. Um, I'm wondering, so, you know, you, you'd argued, I'd sort of frame this as that you'd argued that she deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And are there certain things that sort of jump out that are, you know, so they're just so particularly noteworthy that, that you know, maybe drove you to write the book? Are there certain but, I mean, let me, content in the leak, you know? Let me tell you some of the, my personal highlights. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, that's the top military official in the land, is saying publicly that it is official U.S. policy to stop torture wherever we see it. And this is after Abu Ghraib came out, after the photos of uh, you know American occupied troops torturing Iraqi troops or Iraqi prisoners in a prison. This came out and saying, "No, we don't torture. We're against torture." But then it comes out that Rumsfeld had explicitly ordered that occupying soldiers turn a blind eye to torture when done by the Iraqi authorities. Uh, not to intervene, not to interfere. That's their deal. Just, you know, let mm-hmm. it happen. And Manning knows this and leaks this. Uh, a lot of the it, a lot of the things that are the worst, I think, are perfectly legal, like from the diplomatic cables. The fact that the U.S. State Department is lobbying Haiti, the poorest country in, in the Americas, to keep the minimum wage down. And that's just kind of disgusting. It's perfectly legal. It's not a war crime. <laughs> right, it's right. ridiculous. Uh, and also lobbying in Western Europe to spread American intellectual property law and patent regimes for big pharma. You have the State Department acting essentially as the lawyer for GlaxoSmithKline, for Johnson & Johnson, for other big pharmaceuticals companies that are already have like these filthy profit margins. And... Uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why we pay so much more for healthcare than people in peer nations, because we have this this utterly screwed up intellectual property law. But the State Department is trying to spread this abroad. You know, I guess it's better shareholder value if you have an equity position in GlaxoSmithKline and all that. But you know, most of us don't. What's the what's the benefit of keeping the Haitian minimum wage down to show them? So that they're not progressing faster than us? You know, it's American businesses are investing in this one free trade zone, and they wanted to keep wages really low there. I mean, it's just... Cheap labor, right? It's cheap labor for for Hanes and, uh, (sighs) you know, other garment and apparel manufacturers. It's, it's, yeah, cheap labor. Yeah. Um, So there there are a lot of things like that. It's interesting. The most virally popular leak right. of this this helicopter video mm-hmm. shot from the gun sight camera of an Apache gunship, you know, very high up above a Baghdad suburb in July 2007, and then opening fire on a group of people. You know, a couple of them were armed, and there had been shooting in that area. Uh, but this, according to the American military's interpretation of the laws of armed conflict, gave the helicopter's license to just wipe out a crowd of a dozen people. And then when people show up in a van to collect the wounded, 
they open fire on the van too be, for the very legalistic reason that it doesn't have any kind of you know red cross insignia on it and they shoot up a few kids who are in the van too Oof. and you know i i i have to just stress this this is the neighborhood where people lived i mean this is like you know what bushwick is for new york or you know inwood you know it's just an urban neighborhood to say well what were these people doing in a battle zone it's where they live right it, uh, so it, that came out what's very interesting and, and very disturbing about that is none of the big three human rights outfits made any fuss over mm. that uh, not Human Rights Watch, not Amnesty International, not Human Rights First, because the laws of armed conflict are so uh, so flexible mm -hmm. and, and so pliable in the hands of a great military power that they couldn't find any clear violation. So it's an atrocity, I would say, but technically not a war crime. Should we fill up drinks yeah. real quick? Yeah. Yeah, let's fill up drinks. Okay, okay. is up talking about this stuff man <laughs> i know it's, i, I, I want to keep being it, like what the fuck yeah it's just like yeah it's it's really just a what the fuck yeah yeah it's all crazy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the the 12 people that they shot up were civilians yeah and you know a couple of them were employees of reuters news agency right uh Jesus. one was holding a camera now you if you look at the whole video you can see a couple guys walking around with guns yeah. but this that's like, is that's like any neighborhood in texas well it <laughs> <laughs> yeah more and more right and, and also this is you know a city that's awash with guns ever since our proconsul to iraq jerry right. bramer decided right. to disband the iraqi military well right. people send them home with their guns <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that was essentially yeah. what happened right. so that's that's one of the most disturbing. I encourage people to watch it. Of course, it does not tell the whole story of the Iraq War, right, right, right. but it does tell uh, an important truth about the Iraq War. Right. And that video was not classified in any way at all. Oh, really? No. And one journalist from the Washington Post had asked for it a few times because he'd heard about the incident and heard about the video because soldiers were watching it. You know, back at the skiffs where Manning was deployed, frequently people would just kick back and watch war porn like that. There would Jesus be broadcast. Christ. It was kind of an ambient, you know, screen atmosphere there. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, the the U.S. at the same time, the government sure didn't like word getting out about that and those right, images getting right, right, out. Right. So the question I wanted to ask is is about actually laws and war and mm -hmm. um, war fighting. So when I uh, was teaching a class, um, I remember I had a student who was sort of in and out of college, and uh, that was because he was deployed to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so he would come in one semester and come out, and it was a human rights class, um, and I was a TA for it but with... Uh, Sam Moyne, somebody who you might oh, yeah. know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so great scholar, great writer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and this kid, you know, he was 20 years old. And we were talking about the laws of war. And so he would go to war. And yeah. No. And it was pretty crazy. I, I had That's him twice. Insane. And he was a really, really smart kid. Um, 
but you know he'd be he'd be deployed and then he'd come back he'd have some time off and so on wow. um, and so we're, we're talking about you know the Geneva conventions and things like that and you know what you know Alberto Gonzalez had sort of finagled and you know what can you do and basically what are the rules of engagement in Iraq and basically what he was saying is that yeah we we all have in our you know backpacks the Geneva conventions and basically the moment we go out our commanders tell us that the way you can shoot at people is that if they have a water bottle, that can count as a canteen, and therefore uh-huh. they're military, and therefore it's perfectly legal to blow uh-huh. them away, right? So the laws of war, most people think of the laws of war as sort of diminishing or humanizing, making violence more humane or something yeah. like that, um, sort of softening the blows of war. Um, but you know what I found to be interesting, particularly with the helicopter video, um, is that all these international lawyers sort of clamored to say, no, no, this is perfectly legal. This is, you know, standard operating procedure. Um, and so I have a question, you know, you're a lawyer as well. Um, what do you think the role of law is in war? Is it, it because my inkling is it's certainly not a deterrent. If it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a facilitator almost to, to, to solve any sort of moral questions you might have yeah. by saying, oh, it's just perfectly legal. Yeah, well, I, I think you really hit the essence of it. First of all, the role of law in war is something that gets really inflated by two diametrically opposed camps uh, who agree on nothing and they fight each other, but they both inflate the role of, the, of law in war. Now, on the one hand, you have human rights liberals who like to think that, well, war can be really humanized and kind of sterilized mm-hmm. like a surgical incident. And we can make tremendous advances uh, with legal technology to make military interventions humanitarian and have good humanitarian outcomes. This is kind of a Samantha Power mm-hmm. type point of view. Very popular in the Democratic Party, you know, full of people who have graduated at the top of their class from fancy law schools. And <laughs> look at this immense body of scholarship and... Uh, you know, institutional background for international humanitarian law. That's the euphemism for the laws of armed conflict, uh, international humanitarian law. Who could be against that? And if we only (laughs) believe in it a little more, and and really, if we put enough Harvard and Yale lawyers in the war process, it'll be great. Okay, so they believe very strongly in in the, the, the immense potential of right. international humanitarian law. Her- Harold Coe over and over Harold again. Coe yeah, is yeah, another yeah. one. I mean, he came up with, with Newsweek reported Harold Coe is providing, and this was without any sarcasm, a human rights approach to drone assassination. Right, right, well, right, right, right. <laughs> Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but... Only you know, do it when they're sleeping. <laughs> you know. so, so so that's one side that that is inflating the, the, pot, the, the potential of the laws of war to make it like a... a, a, a sterilized surgical instrument, war without tears, war without war crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, war is fine. It's just the war crimes I'm against. Uh, but then you have Uga Booga nationalists, okay? Mm-hmm. Uga Booga right-wing nationalists who, <laughs> when when Washington party. <laughs> gets involved in some idiot counterinsurgency war, whether it's in Southeast Asia, whether it's in Iraq or Afghanistan, you know... These people, they can never blame the strategic choice. Right. They can never blame the strategy. So they have to blame, find a scapegoat. Now, in Vietnam, it was 
the hippies and anti-war. It was the media. Right. And it was also, you know, we, we had to fight with one hand or both hands right. tied behind our back. I think that's in the right. second Rambo movie. Right, right. Now, in, in Iraq, you didn't have an anti-war movement to speak of. I mean, it existed, but it was kind of on life support. The media played along, but you got to blame someone, not though Bush and Cheney, not the strategy, not Hillary Clinton, you know. Right. So you have to blame, well, we weren't allowed to fight it. You know, it's, it's the rules of engagement were too restrictive. This is nonsense. I mean, the rules of engagement, when you listen to how they're actually applied, like by your, your you know, student mm -hmm. friend, they're very loose. And their main purpose is not to restrict, it's to license, it's to authorize, it's a liability shield. Right. Uh, and very often, I mean, and I was told this by a guy who is certainly not a left liberal type, a retired major general in the Air Force named Charlie Dunlap. Charles Dunlap. I've sort of met him. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. he's a great character. Uh, yeah. But he points out in a, in a very influential essay he wrote called Lawfare back in right. late 2001 that, you know, very often the laws of war are, are, are there as a spur to pull the trigger because it's difficult to make most psychologically healthy young men who are bulk of the soldiers you know, kill another human being. And they're a little hesitant to do it. So they call back and say, well, we have a target. Are you sure this is legal? And it's, you know, the people who are versed in the law uh, back, you know, will radio back and say, yeah, it's legal. Do it. And that's the rule of law as, as a lubricant mm -hmm. for lethal force. Wow. So... It, the what what law and war actually is you know if if anyone wants to see this rant that I'm giving you right now in print I just wrote something for Book Forum about drones so if you just look up my name and I reviewed a book by an ACLU lawyer who just left ACLU where he edited a bunch of drone texts and I just came at it with the angle that all these legal texts don't really tell you very much about drones and the law was never much of a break on drone warfare. And people who are critical of drone assassination and warfare in general, we really need to learn to talk strategy, learn right. some military history and military theory, and talk about things. That it, it, and liberals are very reluctant to right. do this. There's something dirty about that. Right. You know, they think that, oh, you know, we don't have interests and military interests. That's, you know, that's inherently nasty well, I think it's time to get our hands dirty in that. And you'd be surprised how many military historians are very critical of the gratuitous use of, of, of military force. And we were talking about historians like Douglas Porch and John Gentile, G-E-N-T-I-L-E, uh, who have both written really great books about counterinsurgency warfare. Right. And they're critical of it as just a concept, as something. And they're both from... The military establishment. John Gentile led a tank battalion in the Second Iraq War. I think he's a colonel, retired. Yeah, retired. Lieutenant colonel, yeah. And uh, Douglas Porch is career military historian at the Naval Postgraduate School. I mean, these aren't just random people, right. you know. So I, I think we need to get beyond just these legalistic critiques of war. Because uh, I think really... The, the true role of law in war nowadays is a kind of PR. It's a PR mask. It's, well, what we're doing is lawful. Right. What we're doing has a lot of lawyers involved, so it must be good. It must be okay. 
You know, that it, it pays to listen to actual soldiers and their experiences with the rules of engagement and hear what, how they're taught to use it and how, because at the end of the day, what law really is, is not ideas, but what's actually practiced in courts and, and how it's applied on the battlefield. Right, right. Um, which brings me to the question about Obama, right? So in your book, you, you have a chapter... Um, which is entitled The Torture um, of uh, Chelsea Manning. Um, and so, you know, Chelsea Manning was arrested during the Obama administration. And, um, and I think you're dead on in describing this as torture, basic mental torture, this sort of constant checking in every five minutes, 23 hours in the cell, stripped naked at night. I mean, just, just, just really sort of unconscionable stuff. Um, and so some people may, may sort of walk away from uh, reading that and say, oh, is Obama a war criminal? Um, and I think the point would be like, no, because all this stuff is perfectly legal, right? It's perfectly legal to do all of that to somebody. Um, so it sort of raises another question is that for people who are critical of such practices, um, there should, shouldn't, there should be a sort of different language, a different sort of discourse uh, yeah. to challenge it, right? That rather than just sort of legalistic uh, discourse, right? So, but the moral discourse doesn't seem to be working, right? yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then sort of inveighing against the sort of moral uh, problems of government policy um, often sort of sidelines you as a, you know, a bleeding heart, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, that you're not tough enough. You don't understand the sort of true nature of the conflict mm -hmm. that we're in and there's hard decisions and we have to have a stiff upper lip and so on, which is, which is basically the Obama administration's approach, right? That, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whereas Donald Trump and Bush even, you know, that embraced war, right? And mm -hmm. they embrace war and they're happy about it and they're ready to sort of kill people and, and sort of dance on graves. Whereas Obama, you know, sort of, you know, stiff lip and pained face is still going to kill you. Yeah. Right. You know, so but so, you know, the, the, but he, the, but he the at least had the decency to do some hand wringing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> pay sincere lip service. Yeah. To things yeah. like law. Well, and, right. You know. This so, whole thing was just not sending troops. Which which got him off the hook, and people people praise him. People are sad he left, but you know, I was reading today on the train. I was coming back from DC, and I was reading uh, this like big critique, maybe an intercept of mm. like he got a, his F rating in his drone war policy, and mm, we were just sure. talking about like you know Bush, who's like this war mongle crazy person, ordered like fifty drone. Mm -hmm. Obama was like five hundred and fifty three. Like, could you imagine? Having the time in eight years to to get and that's just not like a text message. It's like a okay, so we want to kill these people. We're gonna like five hundred and fifty three or thirty five. I'm switching them probably, but who gives a fuck? I mean, over it's over five hundred, yeah, right? And like that's just totally okay. And it's it's always like my big thing when people are like Obama is the best and blah blah blah. And I'm just like you're just completely missing a huge part of his administration that is so embarrassing and so mm -hmm. disgusting. Mm -hmm. And I like Obama to an extent. I mean, I think he's by far the coolest president we would have ever had. Sure. There. He's, there's a certain charm about him, and I think here, domestically, he did a lot of good. But He's got great playlists. Yeah, he's got great playlists. Right. His, <laughs> but his like foreign policy with this... with his drones is just insane. It's, it's actually fucking shocking. It's... I mean... 
Yes and no. I mean, that's I mean, I think that's the thing with the, the, the Democratic Party. They've they've got this weird thing, right, where on the one hand, where people the, think you're part- crazy for not voting for Hillary. And well, we're like, you know, she voted for all those wars. Right, right. right. <laughs> but but I mean, their their sort of shtick is that, OK, we are anti we're kind of anti-war where we you know, it's the Republican, the big bad Republicans who are right. always beating the war drums. And and but when you look at at least the 20th century, it's Democratic presidents that go to war and right. escalate wars and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. So so and. And the argument is that, well, we have to overcompensate because of politics, you know, that, that we have to you know, sort of do these things. And then there, you know, there's a lot of Myers. like Democratic penis envy there. Right. I mean, right. I, I don't know what else you can call it, <laughs> right. but it's an overcompensation yeah. Yeah. and an in, an internalization of you know, the political game. Right. Where they are constantly trying to outflank Republicans. And they're right. Not all Democrats, but great many. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so. Chelsea Manning is getting clemency. I mean, mm-hmm. so that that's, you know, when that was coming out that she was on the short list or whatever, and then it actually happened in the last few days of the Obama administration, I was actually shocked because after having read your book and knowing what Obama put <laughs> Chelsea Manning through, yeah. um, why then would this happen? This is all, I mean, that's the thing for me, I've been super critical about the last few days of the Obama administration because it's all about legacy and yeah. how he comes down in the history books and so on. Um, I don't, what, what is your view? Why Why would Obama... Wait, before you answer, yeah. were you shocked that this happened? And I, then go to his question. I was very surprised. You were and very it's surprised. nice to be shocked in a pleasant way for once after so many horrible surprises in the past year. Like when you Political heard she surprise. was on the short list, you were like, no shot. Well, I, I was really surprised. I looked at the re- press report carefully, and the more I studied it, the more I thought, okay, this is going to happen. Because wow. it was a leak from the Department of Justice to right. NBC News. Now, DOJ is usually very, very, very tight-lipped right. about their clemency. My wife works a lot with their clemency program. She's at the ACLU. And they, they don't even have a short list. I mean, they said that right. okay. to the <laughs> journalists, but the fact that they made this up. And, and the, it was Bill Arkin, the journalist at NBC, reported is super legit. I mean, very smart guy. Right. And this isn't just some like, shady source right. misunderstanding. And then uh, Josh Earnest, the White House press secretary, clearly was laying out the rhetorical talking points. And... Uh, it's unfortunate the way they've justified the commutation. I think the commutation's a great thing. Right. That's the most important thing. You know, the rationale for it is entirely secondary. I almost don't give a fuck, but it right. does matter a little bit. Right. And the way they they justified it is by comparing Manning favorably to Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Manning faced justice and was tried in a court of law. Right. Unlike Snowden. Who you know bolted? So they so they got to throw shots at Snowden yeah. and letting her off. Like, see, come pay the price, and maybe you'll yeah. get some clemency. And and of course, one of the reasons why Snowden did leave the country in the first place was because he saw how Manning had been treated. Right, and Manning was put in punitive isolation for a whole year. That's insane. Uh, now, I, I want to say for just, her own good, right? Just for her own good, <laughs> it's perfectly it was legal. Said, I, I want to say a few things about this isolation confinement because I, I have a chapter about that in my book. On the one hand, this is this is very common to treat whistleblowers like this, to punish them in psychiatric facilities. This is what happened 
in the Soviet Union right. to political dissenters. They were put in what were called psikushkas, which is like psychiatric chicken coop. It's a Soviet neologism for that. And uh, it's very common when you have a naysayer in a society where the government or the state will try to cast that person as just insane. There can't be a political motive. We're incapable of understanding it as a political motive. It must be medical. It must be psychiatric. And that's why Nixon sent his goons to break into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office. Because right. back then, you know, fewer people saw therapists than nowadays. And they were just <laughs> hoping to really marginalize <laughs> Ellsberg. Uh, Did you know he goes to a shrink? Yeah. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. He had issues with his mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's another way that Manning's treatment, harsh as it was, was very normal. And we, you know, Throwing someone in punitive isolation, solitary confinement, that's not in some aberration of American values. I mean, some journalists and even some advocates tried to say, oh, they're treating Manning like, you know, he's at Guantanamo Bay, you know, or like a terrorist. This is the war of terror coming home. We have between 70 and 100,000 prisoners in the United States in solitary confinement, long-term solitary of some kind. It's a very normal part of our penal landscape. And I, I say normal, not in like, oh, it's okay then. I think it's it's an abomination, right. but it's a very routine abomination. And even pre-trial solitary confinement, we do from time to time. It's not unheard of. It's and it's, it's, you know, it's very disgusting in, in this case, you know, in, in the other cases too. But in this case, you had the, the Quantico Brig medical doctor saying, no, Take Private Manning out of solitary. It's damaging this this prisoner now. It's not necessary. But the the prison facility said, ah, screw it. We're just gonna Oof. keep the prisoner in there. So what? You know, just to just to punish them for its own sake. Wow. So that's that's the context of solitary confinement. It's a widespread abomination in the U.S. And. Uh, I mean, it was interesting. DeRay McKesson, a black, pro very prominent Black right. Lives Matter activist, you know, when Manning was convicted, tweeted, good, I hope I never hear about Manning again enough. And, you know, that's he also likes charter schools. He likes <laughs> Strike two, DeRay. But I, I, I think that's a horrible thing to say, and it's to McKesson's credit that he reconsidered when he got called out on it a couple of years later. But I can see where the resentment is coming from. If I'm understanding it properly, if you're a Black Lives Matter activist and you see all the routine day-to-day -day injustice that gets you know, doled out to people here domestically for non-exotic crimes who are people who are disproportionately black, uh, then why is there all this sympathy for this one, you know, little white soldier? Right. You know, I could see where the resentment, I don't think that's the right response. No, 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 no. But I... You can see where it's rooted. It could see where it's coming from. Yeah, totally. Uh, but that's something that we should know. I mean, I think very often people have looked at our war on terror and, uh, you know, what we've done in Bagram prison in Afghanistan, what was done at Abu Ghraib, and been like, oh, my God, what a horrible deviation from American values and American criminal justice. You know, it, you could argue in many ways that we're just exporting the harshness of our criminal justice system to, right, you know, right. tropical venues where it gets more media attention 
and where we can all kind of safely pretend to be shocked by it, even though a lot of these abuses are happening here at home. I mean, like Charles Grainer, one of the, the right, ringleader right. at Abu Ghraib, he was former corrections officer in, I think, Maryland. And, you know, where do you think he learned to do that yeah. stuff? Uh, so what would you say to somebody? Like, I think we started this whole podcast off with Ahmed saying, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that think she should be executed, literally. Executed. Yeah, yeah. She's a traitor. She's whatever. What would you uh, let's say one of us, which we're not. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we're one of those people. What would you say to them? You know, there's just a lot of hysteria over these leaks. It's a kind of like macho hysteria right. where people totally misgauge the risk that's involved, the risk to blood. And the risk to expenditures of money, too. And I, I hate to take this very operatic, dramatic story and break it down into a cost-benefit audit, but the real risk to blood and money, both American and God knows the blood of foreign peoples that our country has spilled, really comes from secrecy much more than transparency. And it is utterly bullshit to think that well, there are huge risks to transparency in leaking a lot of, you know, not particularly high-ranking classified material, but there's no risk at all to secrecy. How do you think we got into Iraq in the first place? Right, I mean, right. government secrecy, distortion, and yes, some outright lies had a huge uh, role to play in that. And ditto for getting into Southeast Asia a generation and a half before. And if you look at what is... a you know, harming American security if you measure security not in tender feelings of upset men, but in actual blood, money, and risk. It's it's secrecy that is is producing huge damage. Uh, I mean, I and I'm not saying that this is the only thing that got us into Iraq, but it was a necessary cause, right. a but for cause. Right. If the U.S. government had made some of its, you know, like the CIA's national intelligence estimate on Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. It was, you know, it was flawed, but it was not nearly as flawed in making a slam dunk case as many people think. And you have one senator from Florida, Bill Graham, who read it, and he went from supporting the war to opposing the war and voting against the war after he read that. I mean, that that report should have been public information. Right, you know, right. with some, uh, you know, some things blacked out, you know, redacted where necessary. Not, this is what people mistake uh, the case for Chelsea Manning and the case for WikiLeaks before they kind of went crazy, which we can talk about later. It's not an argument for 100% total transparency. Totally. They're a totally. very practical group. And what Manning did was very practical. It's a practical reform against dystopian levels of secrecy that has led to demonstrable catastrophe. Where, I, I mean, I think your listeners know this, but more... Uh, and I'm looking at this just for a second from a very narrow nationalist lens. More Americans get killed in Iraq, in the Iraq war, than on 9-11. Okay? Right. Not like Iraq had anything to do with 9-11, but if we're measuring damage right. done to the life of people, right. you know, this foolish war is much worse for our country and again, I'm looking at just w without even taking into account the orders of magnitude more of, of lives lost by Iraqis, particularly Iraqi civilians. I always find it crazy that there isn't more outrage 
Like, there's not, there is some outrage, like, within the Democratic Party, a certain, uh, a certain, and not even actually, because hmm. the, the, the Democratic nominee voted for both wars. So there's, there's like fake outrage, like, outrage. Right. There's like, that war was wrong, that war was wrong. Yes, our candidate supported them, but, but it's, we're going to give her a pass. There was never, there was never like this, you know, I think I come from a place for me going forward as a Democrat, which, which means nothing anymore. Uh, if you vote, if you, if you were around and a Senator or a governor or whatever, and you voted for the Iraq war, you're not eligible for me. I can't vote for you. Like you, I'm, you're not eligible. Like I cannot vote for you. Your judgment is bad. I was 23 when that, or 22 when that happened, I was against it with with no education <laughs> uh so for me it's like this there's never an outrage and and, and I, I, my point is getting back to people wanting wanting her killed or or you know executed it's like it says a lot about you as a person to just assume that you 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 can decide i think she should be executed knowing nothing i mean if you take the time to look at what came out of there and to somehow not say, oh, this is a good thing. She, she didn't really get anything. I mean, it was really, she was whistleblowing. Those whistleblowers are good. Like the American PR machine, it's like you're, you, come out of the, you, you come out of the womb and it's quickly like you're American, you're American, you're proud, you're proud. You can never talk bad about America. And it's like there's this, there's this thing in all the back of all of our heads that it's, you can't say certain things because you'd feel unpatriotic. Where, and that's why these people that are saying they she should be executed—that's this thing that they're just—it's installed in you from a little kid. Like you don't actually do the research for yourself. You just accept the narrative that they're leaks. Like the word leaks—that sounds pretty bad. It's not like you know this is somebody who has delivered us uh, information that we should all know it's like she leaked this right. it's, unless, it's automatically unless it's, unless negative it's some very famous reporter who has access to the corridors oh, of power we were given and access gets, and then gets some undisclosed anonymous source to break some story and that's a perfectly good leaky ship right that, like how that the hell is edward is, snowden sitting in russia how is he not here and 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 we're talking to him and figuring out how this is happening. You know what he leaked is 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 are things we should know. How how are we not unanimously saying bring him here? Let him like he he didn't not he didn't harm us. He's helping us. How are we? So, we're such sheep that we just uh, go with the narrative that he's a traitor. He's a, Hillary Clinton. He's a traitor. He should be executed or not executed. He should be arrested. And it's just like. It's how are you? Uh, this is a problem with the dem. It's my issue with the Democratic Party is that they're supposed to, on paper, and to yeah. the elite, uh, be above everyone else. Well, they want it both ways. On they want it both ways. Yeah. But it's like, how could you support Clinton when she wants to prosecute Snowden? It just go- the Democratic Party is such a fucking joke right now that it's, I don't know. It's just such a, hip- a hypocritical party to to an uncomfortable level. At least the Republicans owned their. Garbage. Yeah. <laughs> they completely own their garbage. They're putting up walls. They're not letting Muslims in, and they're doing it. And they accept it, and they're they defend it. We we just pretend these things aren't real, and that is such a problem for me. I uh, let me point out also that 
Chuck Schumer's the third oh, I can't. Senate Democratic leader <laughs> Don't in a row get me who started. voted for the Iraq yeah, war. Yeah, I know. Like I mean, that's the guy. Zero I was, consequence. I wake up in the morning and put on news, and I'm look. I'm looking at another Iraq war voter uh, <laughs> rep, now leading the Democratic Party. Yeah. That guy. Yeah, and and they have nothing. So I don't know. I mean, I'm. It, it's it's particularly disgusting in the case of blaming Chelsea Manning because it's. The Iraq war needed a scapegoat, okay? Of course, Dick Cheney and W and Rumsfeld don't get prosecuted. No. Uh, and they face, you know, they get reelected. There's, there's no oh, They're invited to the inauguration with Randy Ponchos on their head. Yeah. It's, a, it's a joke. It, it's sweet. It's an and, internet meme. <laughs> uh, none, none of the CIA torture people get prosecuted. But the person we throw the book at, and Manning got a 35-year sentence. I know. Very harsh. The whistleblower, the young private who wanted, who, you know, who first of all committed there and had, you know, boots on the ground. Right, right. Who went to fight, who, by the way. Who went there and who really believed that Operation Iraqi Freedom would be about Iraqi freedom. I mean, did it in an idealistic way. But this is the person who we punish and right. who we start to blame for the loss of life. Oh, well, and so many liberal pundits, you know, freaked out over this you know they're guilty about the war they supported i'm talking about people like jonathan chait at right. new york magazine right. or george packer at the oh, new yorker oh my God. they supported the iraq war <laughs> and they said very little about the civilian casualties and they have not owned up to it but suddenly they're all just gushers of sympathy for the hypothetical casualties that these leaks might potentially have put right. in harm's right. way then they become brave humanitarians when they come to throwing the book at a little private. Right. And that's what's really disgusting. It's, it's a scapegoating thing. Uh, I, I give Obama credit for community. I think the, the spoken... Obama thinks it's all about his, the book on him in 40 years Well, I now. think how, he's, how he wants uh, to be historicized. Obama is convinced that he sat down with his crew... Well, thank thank God for historians <laughs> then for for being a watchful <laughs> eye. That, no, seriously, yeah, like a yeah, you know the, the nagging voice of conscience like that. Now, I uh, I I think that Obama had probably got to him that people kept pointing out again and again and again that he's been the harshest president on whistleblowers uh, in history, and so crazy. I don't think that's the legacy how he wanted to be remembered. Uh, especially when he's about to hand the reins over to a fucking crazy person. Uh, so I, I think it was a partial act of atonement. I, in fairness to Obama, I think under any presidential administration, Chelsea Manning would have been court-martialed. The leak was too big. There are other leaks cases under Obama that he could have easily dropped. His DOJ could have easily dropped the charges against John Kiriakou, the CIA right, right, whistleblower, right, right. against Tom Drake, the mm -hmm. NSA whistleblower could have easily just let them die. Okay, there was no need. There would have been a tiny political price to pay. And there would have been, in fact, political goodwill that would have probably more than absorbed those political costs. It was just gratuitous. So are those zealous prosecutions at the behest of the administration? There, I, what I think is going on is you have the national security apparatus, which includes prosecutors in the DOJ, mm -hmm. It's just they're on autopilot. That's how they're acculturated. That's how they're conditioned to just go after leakers. Right. They'll know they'll have some Democrats who are loyal, like MSNBC, who will think it's great. You know, the head liberal in charge syndrome, we're going to be even tougher and nastier. Uh, 
But they could have easily stopped it at the same time. Mm. I think Obama didn't want to spend the political capital within government to put an end to it and that he was you know, busier with other things. Right. And he knew that those people who are upset with him for this, they weren't going to turn around and vote for Mitt Romney uh, in 2012. And he's right about that. Right. So the, the big thaw that many of us were hoping for when Obama was elected, the kind of post-Watergate thought, turns out to depend on a very particular set of political weather conditions. You need to have a weak Republican mm-hmm. in the Oval Office mm-hmm. and an emboldened, energized, aggressive uh, Democratic majority in Congress and in the media. But when you have a Democrat in the office, they can get away with all kinds of things. And I think that if Chelsea Manning had done her leaks under a Republican president, the media uh, would have been much more sympathetic Absolutely. towards her and much harsher on the president. There it is. There uh, it is. Um, but, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be too harsh on Obama. Yeah, yeah he's he can't. kind of our he guy, can't do it. you know. Be understanding, you know. So, so in, I mean, we're unfortunately, Chase, we are out of, we're out of time. Are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're there. Uh, so, just before we go, just really quickly, uh, what what kind of what do you think is next for Chelsea? What, I, what's going to happen? I mean, I I hope just peace and happiness. She's yeah. going to be moving to Maryland, where she has an aunt who seems like a really great person. I met the the son of that aunt when I gave a talk at MIT because the Chelsea Manning's cousin was studying there. And I I just hope that things go smoothly for Chelsea Manning, who's had enough turmoil for several lifetimes. Yeah. And I think she'll be continuing to be an outspoken advocate for transgender dignity, equality, and freedom. And we need more of that in this country. It's good for her. Yeah. Uh, and I look forward to hearing more, you know, of her thoughts on foreign policy. She's someone who just has uh, had an intimate experiential relationship in the worst of national security accidents, both as a soldier in the Iraq war and then as a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she's got two fans here. I think, we're, I think uh, three. <laughs> I think probably a room full. Yeah, they're probably not, yeah. Get out. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for coming on. It's been awesome. Hey, great uh, talking with yeah, you guys. Great. Yeah. And thanks for a wonderful meal. Yeah. Too. <laughs> God damn, you're a good cook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table, produced by uh, Jeep Baderoy. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. And uh, Chase, thank you so much. We'll, we'll get you back on another time. Thanks, thanks Chase. Chase. See you next week.